So here it is as Mother's Day, and I thought it's worth thinking about motherhood. It's a good day to do that, and certainly the Bible has plenty to say about motherhood, uh, notably how important it is. But let's begin with number one, which is to say there are many lies, many, many, many lies about womanhood and about motherhood. And I want to just kind of open that up and say, what do you think? What do you have in mind, or what, what lies, what prevailing lies do you see? Uh, and sometimes they're harder to see in our own time. That is the things that we're used to hearing and seeing. Sometimes we say, yeah, I see there's something wrong there. But oftentimes there's stuff wrong we don't notice because we're just used to seeing it, used to hearing it. But what are some thoughts as far as some of the sources of lies that we get around womanhood and, and motherhood in particular? Yeah, I think the devaluing of the idea of a woman primarily being a mother, a wife and a mother, is, yeah. is prominent in our society. If she doesn't work outside the home in our society, it's frowned upon. So if, if, uh, if she doesn't work outside the home in our society, it's frowned upon, which I think is an understatement, um, that it's, it's you're, you're wasting your life if what you do isn't in a court, you know, not in a courtroom, but some kind of corporate room, or so you're exercising yourself in a professional capacity, ladies, you're wasting your life. That's probably closer to the what's actually said than you know we really like it. So there's that. There's the uh, and this this we get largely from feminism, and we get largely from some egalitarian notions that just say that there's really no difference between men and women. And so the feminists say, well, ladies, put on your pants, stand up and go to the bathroom, be a man. Okay, that's that's what feminism teaches ladies. Instead of saying, what is it to be? What is it to be feminine? What is it to be a woman? And glory in that as a woman. They want to say, forget what that is. Be a man and try to glory in that. And, of course, that's a misfire. So that's one, I think, major source of, in our, in our moment, in our time, uh, the great perversion of womanhood and motherhood. And any other thoughts? Any kind of other sources you think of lies around what it is to be a woman? So that's, uh, that's interesting as far as uh, the, the monetary value of work and all sorts of work, right? I mean, you can go get a job anywhere and say, well, I'm not getting paid what I'm worth, right? You kind of have that sense. It's, I, I'm working hard. I, I bring these skills, and they're really underpaying me. That's certainly a possibility in the working world. Um, but in the, in the stay-at-home world, um, you're not getting paid by and large, right? So the, but, but that work you do has an amazing value. And then to put a monetary, you know, uh, consideration on it is something else. What other, maybe just a couple, yeah, go ahead. You touched on it already, but that there's no difference, that a woman and a man is no difference, there's no difference, that it's just the same, mm-hmm. the, 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 um, those things, there's AFF too. And the other thing is that as a woman, you, you, can, you can have it all, you can do it all at the same time. So you can be the career woman, you can be a mom, you can be a wife, you can be all these things. Yeah at the same time, and, and philosophically do them well. And, yeah. yeah, that's interesting. Uh, I'll just let that one sit there. Amy Coney, uh, Coney Barrett comes to mind. And someone's like, can she do it all at once? Um, you know, there are certain ladies, that, and men too, that have just like, man, overwhelming capacity to do things, you know, uh, and get them done. But, 
yeah, so they'll leave that one there. I think uh, perversions, I mean, there are definitely, definitely Christian perversions of womanhood and of, of motherhood. Um, although I think at this point in, in history, Christianity kind of stands out saying, hang on, don't, don't, let's not forget our sanity. Um, you know, and then that's in, not only in light of the kind of what we call the liberal tradition of the West that culminates, or at least currently culminates, in this egalitarian feminism mess, but then other worldly responses, as, as other parts of the world that aren't Christian look at that, they see a mess. They see the mess we're having. So Islam, say, take just the you know, Muslims, for example, I think have a contorted, nasty view of women. Um, but they also see that we do in the West, and they hate it. Right? And they, so something like in Afghanistan right now, where for the last 20 years they've had Americans over there doing American stuff with you know, Western you know, traditions and values, and a lot of the ladies have become more westernized, right? And the Taliban comes in and says, nope, sorry, we're not going that way, ladies. Put on the burqa, get out of school, and whatever else they do, right? So we can look at that and say, how mean and terrible. But what they're doing is a woman is a woman and a man's a man, and let's not make this mistake these goofy westerners are making like they're just the same. So that provokes, right, the, the problems kind of provoke each other in different ways. And we as Christians have to stand in the middle of all that and say, well, what's wisdom? What does God say? What does the scripture say about womanhood, about motherhood? And therefore, we can see the truths in these different errors, but also recognize the errors in them as well. So, there are, like I said, there are many, many sources of this kind of, um, of, of lies, of deception around motherhood and womanhood. Yeah, go ahead. That's fine. Thank you. So, it also, like this, I guess, egalitarian thing or whatever, it doesn't just destroy, like, what a woman and femininity is, but it also destroys what a man is, right? So the women get in there and into the workforce, and they don't like the ways that men are compared to men are. Now we've got toxic masculinity. It's yeah. like, no. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you're trying, if you want to be like them, then you've got to be like them, right? right? But we don't want that. We want to make them like us. Yeah. I mean, I don't well, the, like the same thing goes, like, so you get both directions where you get, like, tranny guys who are going in to show women how to do women's stuff. I'm a better woman than you. Right? And it's like the women get into the men's and say, we're, it's like, no, no, no. Anyway. That, and it also, like, is it affects motherhood and fatherhood now, right? So you don't have to have a mom and a dad because there's no difference. Right? I mean, what it robs that child of, of having a father and a mother. Yes. Two important components, which is, that's going to be, I think, the main thing we're doing here. A friend, Richard Giles, uh, told me a story yesterday of his, uh, of his upbringing. A couple terribly amusing stories of his father and the things fathers do. It's like I was in arms, but I could see my brother, a little bit older, and sister up on this ladder going on the second floor, and the mom's freaking out. And he had a story about getting tossed the keys at nine years old. Hey, Dad, we need to do this. His dad tossed him the keys, so we do it. And he, he says, I can still see those keys coming in the air. It was such a moment in his young life. He's like, I also hear my mom saying, William! <laughs> what a terrific story. Because uh, it encapsulates what a, what a husband and a wife, what a man and a woman do when they have children is they approach them differently. Right? Men are men, and they do men things. And sometimes that's stupid. Sometimes it's toxic. Sometimes it's wicked and, and all that. And women do women things. And sometimes that's toxic and sinful too, right? So it's our job as men to be husbands and fathers as men, not as women. And it's the job of the woman to be a woman and a mother as a woman, right? And God's given us that, and it's such an incredible blessing to have that, as opposed to having two moms. Can you imagine? Anyway. <laughs> or two dads. You'd never make it, you know, if you had two real dads, you'd never make it past 13. You know, I'm dead by 10 probably. Yeah. 
Kentucky over with us the other day, and uh, it was raining really hard, so there wasn't much to do outside. So we rewatched a movie by the Kendrick brothers called Courageous. I would love for you all to write that down and get it. It is a fabulous movie, and it just really puts a stamp on how important godly fatherhood is, not only to children, but to the wife, to the family. And uh, all the Kendrick Brothers movies really seem to hone in on the necessity of a strong, godly father. Courageous. Write it down. We write stuff down. Kendrick Brothers. Very good. Thank you. Okay, so back to our little outline here. We're going to try to make it down to ten. Every son and daughter of Adam and Eve, including Jesus Christ, including Messiah, was born of a woman, began their lives in the womb of a woman. Every single human being, including Messiah, with the exceptions of Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve are the only humans that weren't born of a woman. And and, and I kind of want you to think about that and say, yeah, it's something we all share as we come of woman. God's made it that way. That's how he's created the earth uh, and the the world. So when, kind of moving a little quickly, but as as noting yesterday, reading, you know, we're all familiar with Genesis 1 and 2 and 3. We've read them lots. uh, And I'm always amazed how going over them invariably, teaches me something. Reading through, carefully through those texts, invariably teaches me something. And we've, we've said this before, that, you know, Adam's part of his being created in the image of God is being created a, a mini-creator, right? He's part of this creative process that God's got going on. He says, come here, name all these animals for me. Bring them all in front of you and all this. And so he names the animals. And what does that show about his relationship to the animals? Superior, or at least he's kind of a, he's, he's made to have dominion over them. Or something like that, right? What what does he do with that woman that God brings to him? He says, "I'll call her first woman, Isha, because she's taken out of man." So he names woman as woman, but then he also names her a little bit later in chapter three as Eve. Why? She's the mother of all living, right? And Eve is Chava. You can see there, and I don't know. I don't know how we got Eve from Chava. I'm not sure how that works. I was trying to figure out, even in Latin, they have the H, so I'm not sure how we got Eve without any kind of aspiration, or the Hebrew at the beginning. That's what it is. That's a real out of your throat. So, so many English is like, let's just get rid of that altogether and just use the rest of the word. Eve. So anyway, we have Eve there. Uh, look at from, um, so Eve is named, a woman's named by Adam. Eve is named by Adam. The animals are named by Adam. What's that kind of make you think? God made Adam. And then he made Eve for Adam, which is expressly what the Bible says, right? God made Adam for a task. Have dominion. Multiply and and take over the earth. Getting a little ahead of myself. But anyway, and and, and made Eve for Adam to do that. Right? So it may be a simple way to put it, but it's a simple way to start. You've got to start simple, and then you get complicated. That's how it goes. If you start complicated... It doesn't work. It's like jumping in at the deep end of the pool when you don't know how to swim. Don't do that, right? You walk in slowly and figure, figure things out. But the first stepping stone here is God made Adam for a task to have dominion. And he made Eve for Adam to take dominion. So that they together could do this thing. 
Okay, and that's that's important, I think, for us to know. And we see it uh, coming to, uh, more a little bit later, but that First Corinthians 11 text there, uh, that we're all in this thing together. Right? God's made us to be in this thing together. He's made Adam for Eve, and, and, and the men come through all this. So, you know, reading First Corinthians 11, something on that. Nevertheless, it says, In the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man woman. For as woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman, and all things are from God. So the way God's made this thing to work, is that a man and a woman would come together in union, as we'll get in a moment, and have babies and train them up and disciple them. That's how he's made the world to work. That's how he's made the church to work as well. Okay, so it's very fundamental. That's so number three, male and female, as fundamental. Right? This is just the basic building blocks of humanity, both made in the image of God. Okay? Together, male and female bear the image of God. So we need each other. God's made us for each other. He's built us physically for each other. Right? And all this stuff is as plain and obvious as the nose on your face. Just as clear as it could possibly be. If you walked outside and talked to five people, would you think they think it's that clear? Like, well, I feel this way, and my sexual identity, I do this, and i got this thing where, so there's all this kind of internal personal perversion of what is obviously the case. Male and female. And it's not just the case in humanity, though it's there as well, but all through kind of biological life. You get male and female, by and large. I, I mean, I can't think of any exceptions. I'm sure there are, because um, there's always weird stuff out there. But the, the lion's share of what goes on is a male and a female come together, make babies, train up those babies. And that works its way not just through humanity, but all the way down. And that's the number, number four. Male and female <coughs> with, in sexual union. Right? God's made them sexual. <clears throat> and so I want to read that in Genesis 1, chapter 1. The sex texts from uh, Genesis 1 to 2. Sometimes it's embarrassing what God talks about. But the embarrassment's our fault. It's our little mores and our little ways that we like to talk or feel comfortable. Um, we should feel comfortable with how God talks in order to talk like Him uh, more and more. Anyway, 127.28 there. So God created man in his own image. There's the word man, meaning male and female, by the way, in English. In case people say, oh, so this is just a sexist language. M- maybe. Um, God's made the sexist world, as far as that goes. I just own that one. But here, the word man means male and female. So he created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every creature that moves on the earth. So God's charge to Adam and Eve from the beginning is, Be fruitful and multiply. What's involved there? Mitosis? Uh, Is that how we multiply? No, we multiply by getting married and having sex and having kids. That's kind of how it works. And, uh, and at the end of chapter 2, you get just the same thing, a little more, even a little more clearly uh, sexual in its, in, in its terminology. This is in uh, verse 23 at the end of chapter 2. Um, this is the great love poem out of, out of Adam's mouth, first words of humanity. This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. That's express sexual language. And then, more of it, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. 
So when God created Adam and Eve, he created Adam. He created Eve for Adam. Adam's like, yes, that's the one. I love it. And they were sexual. And that's part of the, the, the procreation of filling the earth and subduing it. Adam couldn't do it by himself. He needs Eve. Okay? A man can't do it by himself. He needs his wife. And that's, I think, generally the case. Uh, that doesn't mean that every course, every single man must be married or every single woman must be married. God gives the gift of singleness. And if you happen to be single, God's giving you the gift of singleness right now. It's not that it's a lifelong gift, necessarily. But for right now, as you're single, that's a gift to you right now. Even if God changes that gift a little bit later. That might help, because I think people see it as just binary. You either have the gift of singleness, or, uh, or you are going to get married. And maybe you're fit to get married, and God will give you that. But right now, he hasn't. Okay? So at this point, you have the gift of singleness, even if you might not have it for the rest of your life, if that makes sense. Um, okay, so, male and female, union and marriage, sexuality and dominion are all tied into this thing, and motherhood right in the middle of it. Right in the middle of all of it. Okay, and pausing for any, any thoughts or questions. Particularly questions. Okay. Not hearing. We'll look at number five and generate some questions. Um, woman, or uh, Chava, or Eve, uh, means life giver. Okay. So we can see that uh, God designed and built woman. So if you're a woman sitting there, God's designed and built your body, your physical apparatus, all you have right here, to make and nurture babies. Okay? You got all the stuff, your outfit for it. So it's just the physical side of things uh, from the amazing realities of pregnancy. Just to kind of, anyway, it's all, you know, it's also commonplace. We're all born from all of this, right? And no one's, no one's uh, outside of the realities of sexual union and, and uh, pregnancy and delivery and all this kind of stuff. We all come from that. Yeah, it's an amazing reality. It's just a fantastic... You, you do that when you, like, you know, your friend's having a baby, or maybe you are, or whatever, and you, you're going through week by week, and say, oh, this baby's this big now, it's a peanut, and, you, and all that kind of stuff. You sit there and marvel at, at the, how God intricately weaves us together. And say, what a terrific and amazing thing that goes on that's completely commonplace. 100% commonplace, with the exception of Adam and Eve. Anywho, that, one's, uh, that one is worth thinking about. Um, so anyway, your, your outfit, ladies, each one of you, whether God's made you a wife or not at this point, you're still outfit. God's made you for um, pregnancy, gestation, keeping that baby in, finally delivering that baby, as crazy as all that is. And then you got these boobs on you that like are not just cool, uh, but they're made for giving food, you know. Um, it's amazing. The whole thing's terrific. And that's how God's made you. That's just how you are. Right? Men don't have any of those things. Not one of them. Okay, we can nurse the baby with a bottle, and that's like it. <laughs> of all of those things I just talked about, that's the one thing we can do. And we don't carry those around on us, right? You don't just have food ready, which, which I've thought any number of times, dozens and dozens of times. I'm like, how terrific that God's put, like, a milk station right on mommy here. We can be, you know, because how much time does it take to get the picnic ready, get everything food? You don't need that. Baby's ready to be eaten. It's just terrific. It's amazing. Isn't it? Anyway. Uh, any comments on that? Yelsey? It's crazy. But that's just, we take it all for granted, right? All that's just commonplace. Yeah, yeah, that's just what, what's given. Well, what's given is terrific. 
and amazing and outstanding. And, and it's something that God's given women to do, to be mothers, to outfit women to be mothers. And I put the notice, another section there that I did not want to or couldn't really elaborate in my mind. So, well, it's emotional and spiritual realities of being a mother. That's a little bit what we were talking about before as far as being a mother and a father. Moms give things to their children that fathers don't give. They simply don't give. They're not fit to give. They're not, they're not equipped to give. They're not mothers. So then my that's the question, well, then how important is motherhood? How important is motherhood? It's often said, I think, the hand that rocks the cradle rocks, you know, rules the world or something along those ways. I think it's pretty close to that. I think it's pretty close to that. Though we don't see it that way. We can't see through the mists and the struggles and the lies that come into our lives about, uh, you know, you really should be exercising your skills somewhere else. And there's, there are plenty of places to exercise your skills. Don't get me wrong. It's not like the, the mother has to be at home all the time. But all of the work that a mother does and all of the things she does, and there is plenty of capability in, on you ladies and other ladies I know, they're all focused in toward your people. They're all focused in toward your husband, toward your kids, toward your church, toward your people, right? You're serving these people. You're using your extraordinary gifts toward your people, right? Where sometimes I think a man is, is off building, going this way, and firing, you know, he has his people, but not in the same way a mother does. Not in the same way she's able to nurture her people with her skills and powers. Um, anyway, so much for number, number five. Again, pausing for any questions. Then on to number six. Adam was created, not born of woman, for dominion. Adam was created for dominion, uh, which he could not achieve alone. Uh, it's not, Genesis 2.18, it's not good that man be alone. Okay, God looks and says, hey, it's all good, it's all good. This isn't good. He can't get the job done. He can't get done what God has given him to do. Eve, also not born of woman, was fashioned by God from Adam's side to be his partner in dominion. I'm not sure about the side thing. I'm not sure about the rib thing. Um, it's, and I just, the text says it, so yeah, that's what God did. He took a rib and he made Adam fall asleep, which is something like a death. Right? In fact, there's even euphemism all through Scripture, falling asleep, being like death. So it's almost like a death and a resurrection, and there is a bride. It's almost like Adam died and came back alive and had himself a bride. Does it sound like another Adam you know? Who was also punched in, in, in the side and water and blood came out? The blood of cleansing, the water of purity for the church. Anyway, you can see this image here of, uh, of, of, of the Eve, of the, of the wife coming from the side of Adam. And you can connect that very easily to Christ. There's that kind of connection, which is important. And there's a lot there to kind of develop. Um, but just because there's a typological connection between Adam and Christ, does it mean that the things that happened to Adam weren't really true? Right? Did God really take a rib out of Adam? close up the spot and make it fashion it into Eve? Or is that just a story to kind of reflect the truth of the gospel, the truth of the Bible? People like to pit those two things against each other. The answer is both. God really did it, and it really has typological meaning. Right? God really did take a rib out of, of, of Adam, seal up the place, and fashion that rib into Eve and say, here's Eve, uh, or here's the woman, and or here's this. <laughs> and Adam said, woman, Eve. Um, and those things really do have, have spiritual and typological import to, to teach us about God's redemptive plan as well. Um, so, all that's there. Um, okay, so taking that aside, Pastor Lehman said a number of times, and he must have got it from somewhere, but anyway, you know, God didn't take uh, Eve out of Adam's foot. He didn't take Eve out of Adam's head. He took, it out, he took Eve 
from a rib and the side, implying the equality of man and woman. Right? These are side by side. Eve was made for Adam, but that doesn't mean that Eve is under Adam, or Eve is less than Adam, right? or by nature Eve is subservient to Adam, right? but she is made for him. So sometimes we think just because there's a different, there are different purposes that God has that one's more valuable than the other. One's better than the other. It's like somehow a competition. And it reminds me of a quote from Chesterton that I don't quite know, but he says, hey, you know, you can put the sun next to the moon. You can put the land next to the sea. You can put a woman next to a man. And some fool is going to say, which one's better? Well, the sun's the sun. And the moon's the moon. And they're made to be what they're made to be. And the land's the land. And the sea's the sea. They're not the same. They're made to be together, but they're made to do different things. Same thing with man and woman. God's made us together, but made us to do different things as we relate one to another. Now, here's the kicker, this last part. The divine pattern must be followed. This pattern of Adam as head and Eve to serve and come and be his helpmeet, um, and particularly in the sexual capacity and bearing children and child rearing and all the things that go into that. Um, this divine pattern must be followed. It continues after the fall, where God rearticulates the same dominion mandate, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, to Noah after the flood. But even more here, turn to First Timothy chapter 2, all, all the way into the New Covenant, right through the New Covenant. The same dynamic applies. Right? The same notion of what God's made woman to be, and in particular motherhood into that, um, doesn't change. It's not like the New Covenant comes and it's like, oh, all those bets are off. It's like, nope, the same pattern, the same reality of man and woman, of husband and wife, of, of motherhood and fatherhood, still continue. First Timothy chapter 2. One of the least popular chapters in the Bible. I have it right here. There are a number of unpopular chapters where Paul says things about women that women don't like, or, or that effeminized men don't like, or that college-educated don't like, or whatever the demographic is. Um, usually all those things. Here, though, chapter 2, verse 15. Page. So... The, this, the, the little bit broader context is, I think, the prayers, the corporate prayers and worship of the people of God, and how women are going to fit into that and so on. Um, I'll start reading at verse 11. Let a woman learn quietly in all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. She's Eve, not Adam. Okay, that's, that's just right to me. Just, we're talking about Eve's. Not Adam's. So there's, there are these requirements for Eve's. Uh, for Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. And here we go, here's the point. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. And someone will say, well, I thought we were saved by Jesus. Yes, we are. But as we're saved by Jesus, we're saved into the roles and positions that he's called us. Okay? And the way of salvation, the, 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 the road that leads, the narrow road that leads to everlasting life is obedience. It's obeying God. Not just saying, yeah, I'll trust Christ and I'm going to do whatever the hell I want. That's not it. It's, I believe Christ Jesus and He's my master. I'll do what He says. I'm His slave. Just like Mary says in a moment as we get there. I'm the slave of the Lord. Let it be according to your will. Okay, so when God says, this is how you're going to do it, the rebellious human heart simply says, not this one. We know better. I'm better than that, or however we puff ourselves up. But the obedient Christian says, let it be to me according to your 
word, and the word here is very simple, that women be faithful sons of Eve, or daughters of Eve. Have kids. Love your husbands. Raise them up. Train them up. Your part as a mom, as a mother, is so important in this whole process. He says, this is your way of salvation. This is the path. This is the way women trod on the way to salvation. It's child-rearing and child-bearing. And we can look at Titus 2 as well, where it says, Older ladies, teach younger ladies to do this. Love their husbands. Be dedicated to their homes. Do the work of Eve. Say, sorry, baby. This is a professional lady you're talking to. Uh, check out the power suit. Whatever else, right? So, okay. But that idol will not please you. The idol of success, the idol of climbing corporate ladders, the idol of being a man, but being a cute man dressed well, um, won't satisfy. But this is what God has given the daughters of Eve. And again, this focus on the home, the focus on the family doesn't exclude other work. It just brings that work into the orbit of what's going on in the home and focuses in that direction. So I'll pause for questions. Yeah. I just want to make a comment. I mean, I think I struggled a lot of that as a young woman when you when you are made capable, right? You are made with all these different talents. And I think for me, the Proverbs 31 woman, I mean, that was transformational for me, studying Proverbs 31 and the Proverbs 31 woman and realizing that it's not just, I mean, I was like, I'm not me, I'm not the one who sits and volunteers for the nursery, right? That's not me. That's not how I'm made. But I can be a woman, and I can be a wife, and I can be all these kinds of things, but I can also go and buy a plot of land. I can also go and take care of this for my home. I can, I can do those things. It's not that you have to squelch certain talents or skills or things that God has given you. It's, I I just appreciate what you're focusing on is those things are with the focus of the home, right? Versus focus on I'm going out here and I'm going to be this corporate woman and my focus is going to be climbing that ladder and getting the exact right. It's learning to use the talents and skills God gave you with the focus of your home in mind, if that makes sense. Sure, right. In the same way that God's outfit a woman to be a physical nurturer, He's outfit a woman to be the spiritual and emotional nurturer as a mother in the home as well. Right, so you might think of homemaking as some narrow thing. It isn't. But homemaking is exceedingly broad. As you get, there's all sorts of stuff you can do with your powers and skills and abilities and, and resources at home to serve the church, to serve all sorts. You know, there's, there's endless possibilities. Right, so to think of, oh, being a homemaker is this narrow. Yeah, I guess I just make sure the, the casserole gets out of the oven and look cute for my husband. Okay, well, it's not 1952. I don't know if it's that way in 1952, though that's the idea we have now of it. Um, no, there's a lot to be done. Your skills and talents and intelligence and everything else, ladies, is put to terrific use when focused in on your, your husband, your family, and what you're doing. You, it's, it's like rocket fuel, especially your husband. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. So, good question. Um, it's not Father's Day. Give up a month. So, uh, like, fleshing out how that looks different would be interesting to do. At least starts here that God made Adam for dominion. Take the earth. Go get it. Subdue it. Okay? And he gave Eve for that task. 
So I think there is an outward look that a man has and a dominion look that a man should have that women don't have but can support and, and be a part of that, right? be a part of what their husband's doing in a very vibrant and important part. And the working aspect, you know, it's not like he's out there and she's got to be here. It's not like that. But I think the mentality, even as the mentality, like, you, know, you know, some of you guys are dads that have had newborn little ones, uh, whether adopted or born of your wife or however it goes, and how involved are you in the, that's right, the day-to-day, hour-to-hour realities of that newborn or that little baby compared to your wife? 10%, 5%, you're doing the work, 2%. You might be up, you might even be awake doing stuff, but you're not doing the work, you know. It, it's, it, the, God has made woman differently than man, right? So they're, in, the, in that physical reality, we see it pretty clearly, but I think that there are analogous parts of, of broader life as well, knowing that God's made man to take dominion and woman to help that man, and made woman the nurturer and giver of life, not man. So... That's a way of not answering the question, but saying, yeah, there are lines here, um, but I'll talk about fathers and fathers day. Yeah. I, I think we could also look at it like the woman is create, um, created to be the producer in the home, and the man is to produce outside the home and bring that in. That's a good way. Yeah. Um, so that's common was the, the production of a woman is in the house, or maybe, although not always, but, um, but certainly inward and toward inward, where the man's is outward. And that's, that's dominion taking as well. Go out and get resources and bring them back home. Right? And when they're home, then your wife can do something with them. Right? And then she can make something sing with them. And she, of course, can bring resources in as well. But it would seem that the primary responsibility of that one is the man to bring the resources so the family can exist and <laughs> keep going. Right? Yeah. I think, I can't remember her name now, but the speaker at, um, um, at camp, a couple years ago that was talking about that and, and I, I think on the land thing for one because she was talking about like her husband was off over here and he was um, getting his job going or whatever and he tasked her, I mean she was very capable saying we need to move so she took on the task of going out making a deal for the real estate, you know place for her family to go and all that kind of a thing so she's still doing business like a yeah. man, she's still negotiating with men but it's for the purpose of the family versus he was going out Kind of like what Ed was saying, to bring a separate source of income into the family. And I'm not trying it nearly as well as she did, but I thought it was an amazing picture of the way that the woman is still in the workforce or still in, but it's in a different... You bet. A different capacity. In a capacity under her husband, where he's guiding and directing this thing. She's like, okay, I got this. You need this done? I got this, right? That sort of thing you bet. Well, you guys are pretty good example of that as far as how you operate, you know. Um, So, uh, how far are we going on this? Number seven it is. Okay, because we're going to be done soon enough. Um, if Kava, that is Eve, of course, is the prototypical woman and mother, which she is, then which of her daughters bore and reared the life of the world? If Eve is the prototypical woman and mother, then who is her greatest daughter? Who is the one who really fulfilled that Eve role by bearing the life of the world in her womb? And bringing him forth. And, of course, this is, you know, this is God's plan for the salvation of the world, right? Um, a little bit like the devil tempting Jesus. Go up on top of the pinnacle of the temple and toss yourself off. Right? God won't let you die. God won't let your foot strike a stone because you're Messiah. It all hangs on you, right, man? 
and says, you should not put the Lord your God to the test. In other words, I'm not going to test God by doing that. I know he'll save me. I'm not going to test him by doing that. I'm going to tempt God, I think is what Jesus means by that. But the same thing goes on here. How important in the whole scheme of the life of the world was Mother Mary? All of her actions, from nursing to changing pooey diapers to all the things she's doing so that the very life of the world that she bore in her womb and gave birth to and gave suck at her breast could go and die for sinners and come back from the dead. It all hangs on Mary. God's trusted this woman with the life of the world. Of course, he equips that woman and he protects that woman. But there she is being a woman nonetheless, being a mother nonetheless, and a despised mother at that because... Check out the whore Mary, who's got this, you know, this, uh, this one born out of wedlock. She dealt with that her whole life. That's part of when she says, let it be to me according to your word, to Gabriel, is that burden. Let that burden be upon my shoulders. I'll do it, God, if that's what you want. And then, it's just the opposite, which I'm not going to get to, um, is Elizabeth, right? Where she goes to Elizabeth, who is in her old age and hasn't had a child and is married for a long time, Zachariah, and God gives her a baby, Right? So, there are two different kind of miracle babies going on here. One's John, one's Jesus, and they get together in the wombs and they're having a little party. John's excited over there in the womb of, of Elizabeth, as you read the text. And, um, but the, 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 the miracle pregnancy of Elizabeth is to take away her shame among the women because she's finally having a baby, right? So, that's, that's all right there to be read. Not so for Mary. It goes the other direction for Mary. It's she's taking on shame and taking on difficulty um, in this baby, and her heart will be pierced just the same. Um, but flip over real quick, and I'll just read the last part of uh, what Mary says and the last part of what Elizabeth says before we close. So Luke chapter 1. So this is, um, as, the, as the angel greets Mary, she's confused because she doesn't recognize herself in what he says. And she, uh, he says, hey, the, you know, um, you're going you're to have this, this, this baby. He's going to be the king of Israel, the throne of David. And she says in verse 34, how will this be since I have not known a man? I have no man. I'm a virgin. How's this going to work? And the angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth is in her, in her old age, has conceived a son. And this is, this is the sixth month for her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Look, Elizabeth's going to have this baby, and so are you going to have a baby. Nothing's impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the slave of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. No negotiating. Like, ah, can we sweeten the deal this way a little bit? Or, you know, I, I'd really appreciate it if uh, I had a card for some designer dresses. I want some Prego dresses. Or whatever. She has none of that, right? It's just, whatever you say, God, what the angels told me, that's what's going on. So notice the, the uh, submission of Mary right from the beginning and the obedience of Mary, the heart of Mary. This is something we need to emulate. She's the great mother. Anyway, it goes down to another great mother, Elizabeth. Uh, quite different mothers, quite different situations. Uh, it's interesting to kind of consider both of these two. But look at what Elizabeth says to Mary, really down in kind of verse 45. This cute little one in, 
in verse 44. In case you think that babies in the womb can't have faith, read verse 44. For behold, the sound of your greeting came to my ears, and the baby in my womb leaped for joy. It was pale faith. Faith from the womb, which you read through the Psalms over and over again. From my mother's breast did I trust on you. You called me from my mother's womb over and over again. God doesn't always do that. But God does that sometimes. And we actually have it as a category that doesn't exist. Right? We think that pedo faith, baby faith, doesn't exist because, well, they have to be adults, right? They have to have reached the age of accountability. That's in the Bible somewhere, isn't it? Sorry, uh, a little theology will go a long way to cure some of these silly little things. Anyway, moving on. And blessed is she who believed, that's you, Mary, that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. You believe the Lord and you're going to see the fulfillment. Okay, Mary? You've trusted the Lord. You've, you've, he's put this burden on you. You've received the burden in faith. You're going to see the fulfillment. And so it is for you mothers as well. You've taken on this burden. God's given you the burden of being a mother. You've taken it on, or a grandmother now, or great-grandmother. You guys keep going. Um, right? There are burdens in that. There are struggles in that. But there are God's promises to us to be a God to us and to our children. Cry out for those promises. Hold them before God. And trust that you will see the end of it. Even the fulfillment of these things, even as Mary is going to see the fulfillment. And, of course, a lot of struggle. Again, her heart is pierced. She gets to watch her son get crucified. She gets to behold that. But she also be, be, was able to behold her son as the resurrected and back from the dead. And then suddenly she's rejoicing in her son in her salvation that she's talked about here in Magnificat as well. So, anyway, all that kind of got confused in the end, I think. Maybe it was confused all the way through. Uh, but some considerations of motherhood, the trials of motherhood, the blessings of motherhood, the hope of motherhood. And, uh, and let's not, at the end here, forget Mary, who bore the very hope of the world as a mother. Ray. Ashley Lehman's comment comes from a poem. It's a poem that I quoted to each of my two boys and my son-in-law for their weddings. God made woman out of man, not out of his feet to be trodden upon, not out of his head to be lorded on. Well played. Um, that's about right. It's better than Pastor Lehman's version of it, too. <laughs> Although, very similar. But good. That's, and that's, so, yeah, there's that imagery there. Um, and, and, the, and, again, all of that, the greater imagery of that is the Christ, the crucified one, who, who gave birth by his blood and water to the church of Jesus Christ, the redeemed of God. So let's praise his name and thank him. Let's begin that right now by closing with prayer.